My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. happy and proud that I got arrested with these other seven land defenders because they're very resourceful and instrumental and smart and strong and together all eight of us make a really excellent team and standing up against this corrupt oppressive genocidal system that we're being forced under especially in the criminal courts. That's the voice of April Thomas, today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. April Thomas is a land defender and member of the Sequetum Nation, from the Canham Lake Band in the central interior of what is colonially known as British Columbia. In the BC context, the vast majority of the land is unceded, unsurrendered, and not covered by any treaties. Now, most treaties don't do so either, but in BC it's even clearer than in the rest of the country that nothing has extinguished the right of traditional indigenous governance systems over their own lands. In contrast, the governance imposed and funded by the Canadian state in the form of band councils have at most authority over reserve lands, which are a minuscule fraction of nation's historic land base. Because of that, Thomas argues, quote, the bands have absolutely no authority to sign away our rights the way they do, end quote, when it comes to resource extraction and consequent environmental destruction on those lands. Thomas's early involvement included grassroots opposition to the modern-day treaty process in BC and working with other grassroots Sequetum people in a land defense camp in response to the Mount Polly mine disaster of 2014. In the years since then, perhaps the highest profile land defense struggle in Sequetum territory is around the Trans Mountain Tar Sands Pipeline expansion project. The original pipeline was constructed in the 1950s, long before the Canadian state even pretended to seek genuine consent from Indigenous peoples. In 2012, then-owner Kinder Morgan proposed to build a new pipeline along roughly the same path with almost triple the capacity. It was approved by the Liberals in 2016, and after Kinder Morgan hinted they were considering scrapping the project, the Trudeau government bought it in 2018. Projected costs have ballooned to $21.4 billion. The federal government recently announced it will provide the project with no more public funding, but they're still determined to go ahead with it, despite vigorous grassroots opposition from Sequetum and other indigenous peoples, and from the broader environmental and climate movements. Thomas has a number of reasons for opposing the Trans Mountain Project. For one, it represents a serious risk to the people, land, water, and creatures in Sequetum territory. That's always been true, but in recent years, the growing impacts of the climate crisis on British Columbia, including the growing frequency of intense fires, as well as flooding, makes damage to the pipeline even more likely. And the fact that it does not have the consent of the Sequetum people and traditional governance structures is a fundamental problem. Thomas has been involved in opposing the pipeline in multiple ways, most recently in relation to the Sequetum Unity Camp. The camp was brought together in 2020 by Sequetum hereditary chief Sossus, also known as Henry Sauls, and his daughter, Sequetum matriarch Miranda Dick. 
The goal was to monitor the project and to engage in ceremony near where the pipeline would be placed underneath the Thompson River. On two separate days in October of that year, as the company was about to commence drilling, people involved with the Unity Camp engaged in ceremony, blocked the drilling, and were arrested. Though Thomas was originally present intending to act as a legal observer, she ended up being arrested as well. The resulting court process has been long and arduous. Thomas said that it has been difficult at times to get clear answers about the charges and about how the Crown intends to proceed. In addition, she said the judge does not seem to understand the role of Aboriginal rights and title, even within the constrained colonial context of the settler legal system. She added, quote, and the judge and the prosecutor have been rude to us at times, and I would even say racist, end quote. The trials for the two groups of arrestees are coming up in March and April, respectively. Thomas encourages people from elsewhere in the Canadian state who want to show support to both continue acting in whatever way they can to oppose Trans Mountain, and also to donate at Sequetum Say No to TMX trial support on GoFundMe to cover the land defender's legal expenses. I speak with Thomas about her involvement in land defense struggles, about the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and about the Sequetum Unity Camp and resulting legal repression. My name is April Thomas. I am from the Canham Lake Band. It's just outside of 100 Mile within the Sequoia Nation. My band is one of six bands that signed on to the Trans Mountain Mutual Benefits Agreement without our consent. Tell me about your path to involvement in this kind of grassroots work. I think I was born into it ever since I was a child growing up. My parents passed away when I was young, so I was raised by my Ba'as and Ka'as. That's my grandparents. They're always highly influential on everything that I do. They've all passed when I was a young adult, but they've always raised me and they always told me that, you know, when there's people that can't speak for themselves, you have to be strong enough to speak for them because you're strong and you're good at it. And I was always told that my people are going to need me. I've had dreams and ceremony and I've seen people that have passed that have come to tell me that I'm here for a reason, that I need to be strong and I'm here for all our people. In my younger days, it's not something I easily accepted. I went through a lot of alcohol. I went through a lot of working with bands and tribal councils and helping negotiate these like mining agreements and such. And I even went to university and I got a triple degree in political science, English and Aboriginal studies. And I think that the creator put me on all of these paths to see and feel what our people went through and what they're going through presently and what needs to be done for the future. And being raised by my grandparents, I feel like I have to hold myself to a higher standard because I spent 20 years drinking and I always felt embarrassed for that. Like I let them down. And when I sobered up, it was part of my healing journey to make it up to them and all the people I hurt and to do the work of the creator. I think a lot of it started after I was being sexually harassed by one of the chiefs at one of the bands I worked for, and it really sent my life in a downward spiral, fighting that and finding out that back in those days, there were no human rights on reserve. So they basically told me he was allowed to do stuff like that to me. So basically forced me out of a job and made me reflect on my life and everything I went through in those 20 years. So I sobered up. I didn't work for four years and just lived off the land with the creator. And yeah, so just led me on a path where the elders asked me to go speak and say words for them because they weren't being heard. And, you know, I didn't think that was a big deal. Like, I thought, I'll go talk about our human rights and what the elders are saying and how the Mount Pauli mine is going down without our consent. 
they were told that that mine was on one of our sacred village sites and the band still went ahead and signed that agreement and then the spill happened. So it kind of set me on a path. I went to the United Nations Elimination of Racial Discrimination Committee and I presented over in Geneva on what was happening over here with mainly the modern day treaty where the bands are trying to sell out all of our rights without properly informing us and getting the consent of the nation and how that ties into Trans Mountain Pipeline and Mount Pauli Mine and all of these other things, all the other destructions happening on our traditional lands, which the bands have absolutely no authority to sign away our rights the way that they do. They only have authority and jurisdiction to sign rights on the reserve land, and the reserve lands only account for 0.02% of our traditional land base. And tell me about your nation's territory. The territory spans from the Rocky Mountains over to Revelstoke. It's in the central interior up in the Rocky area. And then it comes all the way over to Soda Creek, which is near Williams Lake, and out to Enderby. It's, I think, 1.5 million hectares or something. It's a huge span of land. Almost all the water systems in British Columbia come through the Sahuatan Territory. And we have a population of about 11,000 members. And there are currently 17 bands. And two tribal councils that divide us, a Northern Shushrup Tribal Council and the Shushrup Nation Tribal Council. We were originally 33 sacred fires. We once were 33 villages. Myself, I was originally from up in Jasper area. My tribe, from what I was told, is the Snare tribe, and we migrated in that area. And we were later relocated and forced to move down into Canham Lake area. So, yeah, there's many sacred village sites right now that are being desecrated by all of the development, especially Trans Mountain Pipeline, goes through a few of them. Before we get into talking about Trans Mountain, explain a little bit about the Mount Pauli mine disaster and your role in responding to that. The Mount Pauli mine is one of the biggest mines in our territory, and it is up near the Williams Lake area. When you'd go driving around that area, you could see that they would fill it right to the brim all the time, and it would leak into the river and everything. And back in 2014, the tailings pond erupted. It was one of the hugest disaster spills in the world at the time. It took years for them to even clean it up, and even still, they just did surface groundwork where they just basically poured dirt and everything over top of it, and they never dug out any of the toxins, and they never did a real cleanup. They basically covered it up. That had huge impacts on our community. These things, because of our connection to the land, has really affected the health and well-being of our people, especially when it comes to our spirituality. I really believe in protecting the land and Mother Earth and standing up too, because I know that's the way of our people. And to not do it, I think, kills a bit of our spirit when we just sit back and watch. So when that happened, I felt compelled that I needed to do something. So I organized with other Sikhwetan to have a camp up there, and we did. While we were up there, for myself, I got to feel for the first time what it was like to be on the front line and how frontline warriors are treated. We weren't blocking them from coming out. We were blocking them from going in, but when they were coming out, 
I was informing them all that we were there standing up for our human rights to have consent for these projects that are destroying our land and affecting our people and that, you know, we don't mean to disrespect them or anything, but we need to make a stand for our people and the land and the water and the fish. And some of the people were really good about it, but some of them were really rude and they were swearing at me, but I just let them go by. And then one guy... We had a human chain and just kept pushing our way through to the point where one of the ladies rolled over top of the vehicle and he just kind of sped off and she got thrown to the side of the road. And it started to get really dangerous to the point where this guy came through and he is swearing at us, calling us all these names. And he said, I'm going home to get my gun. It was pretty scary. And we tried to file RCMP complaints about these men who were threatening our lives and who hit the other woman. And the RCMP said, yeah, well, that's not what they're saying up at Mount Polly Mine. They are saying stuff about you guys, that you're doing this and that, disrupting work. And it's like, yeah, well, we have a right to do that. <laughs> but they wouldn't hear the complaint about how they were threatening us. What do you remember about when you first heard about the Trans Mountain Tar Sands Pipeline Expansion Project? You know, I never even heard about the pipeline itself. I had no clue about it until the year I was going to Geneva. I believe that was in 2015. Just to know that it was built and it was already existing there and there was no consent and that they were planning to push it through three times faster than it is right now and put it above ground. It was just horrifying to even think because, you know, I seen what Mount Polly Mine did to our community firsthand because that happened right close to where we were living at the time. And I cried my eyes out. I couldn't believe it because I was already being devastated by all the stories because I was sober and our elders were telling me all the stories and causing me to reflect and realize, you know, all the things that I used to be able to do with, as a kid with clean water and eating off the land and everything. My kids can't even do that because a lot of the lakes are so contaminated and the rivers are contaminated. And even the animals were getting, you know, deer and moose with cancer and things like that. It was just devastating to even think that they could even do that and do it without our consent and not even think about how it's going to affect their future generations and even ignoring what our elders were saying. Talk more about your reasons for opposing Trans Mountain. Oh, geez, there's so many concerns. I don't even know where to begin. Personally, it's for our people because I want our people to have clean land, clean water, and I want our animals and water creatures to have the same, the birds. And there are already leaks that we know of, and we don't know where they are. They don't get reported to us and how that is even cleaned up or how they even take care of it. So there's huge environmental concerns that we have for the land, the water, animals, birds, water creatures. The other concern is the wildfires. The wildfires have ravaged so much of our territory since 2017. I own a forestry company, so I know firsthand and seen firsthand all the damage that's been done by the wildfires. And it's hit almost every one of our communities in the Shoe Shop Nation. And, you know, right close to where these pipelines are going through, too. And they want to put it above ground. What if it's to catch on fire? What's going to happen there? And the other concern is all these atmospheric rivers and floodings that's been happening. And it's even worse now as a result of the fires. And they're not 
consulting with our people. They're only consulting with bands. And our problem with that is that the bands do not represent the people. They work for the Crown Corporation Canada as well, and they've been helping and conspiring against our grassroots people in not being transparent and accountable to the mutual benefits agreements that they've signed and to the money that they've taken and even to contracts and work. They're basically award themselves and only they're benefiting the people who get voted into the bans. We take huge issue with their conflict of interest as well as the government of Canada itself. They are a corporation. They have no authority. We don't recognize their authority. And on top of that, they've compromised themselves even more by purchasing Trans Mountain Pipeline. And now their courts are the ones that are convicting us and even the courts are in a conflict of interest and they are also biased. And it even shows in their selection in having Judge Fitzpatrick oversee this court proceedings and how unprofessional and unknowledgeable she is about Aboriginal rights and titles, especially on unceded territories. And how did you get involved in the active opposition to the pipeline? Like I said earlier, I was involved in doing frontline work, plus I was involved in doing letter campaign writing. We would write the bands, the tribal councils, the governments, the RCMP. We filed RCMP complaints. I've been involved in helping be a legal observer for the occupation of the Williams Lake Indian Band. And I got brutally assaulted by the RCMP then. And then I've been involved in trying to stop the NSTQ treaty because they're moving ahead with trying to sign away the rights of our territory without the full consent of our whole nation, which is 11,000 of us. Because of my opposition to the bans and the treaty, myself and my family were brutally thrown out of our house. Me and my husband started our forestry companies to come silviculture and we're constantly fighting the bands even just to get work as band members on our own territory because of what I do. Tell me about the Sequet Immunity Camp, your arrest and the resulting court process. The Sequet Immunity Camp was initially set up by hereditary Sequet Chief Saucis, Henry Salt, and his daughter Miranda Dick, matriarch. They put a call out for people to come help support them in ceremony as they had concerns about the pipeline being drilled under the Thompson River. The main concerns were the possible contamination and risks that were posed to the water and to our sockeye and the Adams Lake River run that had to go through that area. And that river met up with another river, so there was possible contamination of the Thompson River and the Fraser River. So they set up the camp there to monitor what was going on and to do ceremony on the areas for the ones who wanted to be arrested. They were to block the work once the drilling was to begin. And we were doing this all under Sukhwap laws and authority to protect the land. And the people who agreed to be arrested were there as our guests under our authority. So we went to go do that. And on October 15th, Four of the people were arrested, including myself, Jocelyn, Pierre, Romley Kavanaugh, and Sukhwap Hereditary Chief Saucis. I went over to be a support as a legal observer with my cameras and live video and everything. And as it turned out, one of the ladies 
went on to the construction site and asked me to go with her. And I did. And in the process, I felt like the worker wasn't going to stop his machine and get out when she was zap strapped herself. So I got on there and I got all mixed up and everything and I got arrested as well. And while this was all going on, they were having real serious problems putting the drill underneath the river. And it even got stuck there for a couple of days. And once they tried to get working again on October 17th, we went over and at that point, Miranda did a ceremony there and then she did a haircutting ceremony in which she cut off our hair for the land and grieving for the land and the destruction that was happening there that day. So in all, in those two days, eight of us were arrested. It's been, I don't know, a year and a half. When they arrested us, they said it was first for mischief and that's a criminal offense. And then when we got charged, they said it was a civil contempt of court charge. So then we went into court and they were treating it as criminal. So we were trying to clarify. And now they're saying it went from civil to criminal. And yeah, just been a real roller coaster ride and getting transcripts, getting our police reports and getting a straight answer if this is civil or criminal contempt charges so we know how to properly proceed and prepare. And they would never be upfront with us. And the judge and the prosecutor have been rude to us at times, and I would even say racist. We've had, I think, two adjournments for the October 17th group and three adjournments for ourselves, the October 15th group. The judge and the prosecutor, I feel, were trying to manipulate the whole system and confuse us and force us into pleading guilty, you know. And yeah, all these things was enough for us to buy more time to get answers so we know how to proceed. So we do have a number of options and we're working very hard on it. I'm really happy and proud that I got arrested with these other seven land defenders because they're very resourceful and instrumental and smart and strong. And together, all eight of us make a really excellent team and standing up against this corrupt, oppressive, genocidal system that we're being forced under, especially in the criminal courts. And you said that you were doing all of this under Sequentum law and authorities. Tell listeners a bit more about Sequentum law. I think like most laws of the original people around the world, we all live under like an equilibrium type of society where we're all equal, not just with each other, but to the animals, the birds, the water creatures, the land, the air, everything, we're all one. And so we have to act as such. And that goes for Sequentum laws. We all act in unity and we all have a role within the community. The women have a role, the elders have a role, the hereditary and spiritual people have their roles. Like everybody has a role and it's up to us to follow our own path. And as far as the unity camp, I was in the area, like I said, I was going back and forth between my kids' houses because of COVID, I was helping them as well with the grandkids. So I happened to be down here in Kamloops when all of that was going on. And I got asked to come over to be a legal observer and to help document and take pictures and help get it out in the media and just to be a support. And yeah, like I said, I ended up getting arrested. So I figured that Galgookby's will was for me to be arrested so that I can be here to help with all these criminal proceedings since I've have so much experience. (laughs) 
I grew up an orphan, so I grew up in the system being called a ward of the court. The government was my parents is what they always told me. And I was always in and out of court and stuff all of my life. And I beat so many charges self-representing myself because every time I try to get a lawyer, they'd always try to make me plead guilty or whatever. And I'm like, no, I did nothing wrong. So I always stood my ground. And that took me into, you know, working in the Aboriginal rights and titles area. So I learned a lot about Aboriginal rights and titles. When are the trials currently scheduled to happen? The trial is set to begin next month for the October 17th arrestees for March 21st. That whole week is booked for them. And then on April 17th, that week is booked for the October 15th arrestees for trial. Like I said, we've been working very hard and I think we'll be ready. And we'll have a lot of other applications and motions in between then. So we'll see what happens keep posted because we are working on a number of things and I don't really want to release more information until we get to that point. What can people in other parts of the country do to act in support, specifically with respect to the court battle? Keep standing up for what's right. This is unceded, unsurrendered lands and even across Canada and Turtle Island, those are all stolen lands. And it is our obligation, our role to do this. This is what the Gilgukbi, the creator, put us all here for. So stay strong and keep standing up and keep following our court case. If anybody wants to talk to me or has any questions, they're welcome to reach out to me. And as for helping our trial, we have a GoFundMe set up. It's to and say no to TMX trial support. And we have the Sikhwetan Say No to TMX Facebook page as well as uh, we the Sikhwetan virtual page. In terms of the bigger picture of opposition to the pipeline, what kinds of things would you like to see happen next, both locally where you are and more broadly? As for the pipelines, I would like to see, you know, how the truckers, you know, they're not being brutally arrested or they don't have, you know, cops swarming in with their big, machetes and guns and you know all those weapons that they bring in they don't do that to the truckers so i would like to see our people if we can to me now is the time to rise up and to show and demonstrate that we want to be treated fairly and equally and we're here to stay we're not going anywhere and if you want truth and reconciliation then you need to work with the people and not the band offices in finding solutions on how we could all live on our territories in a good, respectful way under our own laws and authority. That's what I'd hope to get to. And as far as the legal challenges go, I would like to see this working alongside with other nations, take this right up to the United Nations and challenging Canada's jurisdiction over our land. Because, like I said, we're unceded and unsurrendered. We've never signed a treaty. We've never sold our land. And to us, our laws are the highest laws of our territories, and our laws supersede theirs. You have been listening to my interview with Sahuatan land defender April Thomas. To support her current legal struggles, search for Sahuatan Say No to TMX Trial Support on GoFundMe. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.